Welcome to part two of my interview with Rohan. If you want to check out part one, please do that. Subscribe and I hope you guys enjoy. Okay, so you arrived to college on your freshman year, right? So how did they do the dorm room situation for you guys at Dartmouth? So it's randomly sorted. Oh, that um, sounds uh, terrible. You, you so, so, well, sort of. So you select your preferences for, like, uh, the kind of environment. Like, well, like first of all, you select, like, what time you wake up, your general routine and stuff like mm -hmm. that so they can match you with a roommate with a similar sort of schedule so mm -hmm. you don't disturb yeah, each yeah. other, you know? And then they randomly sort of assign you to a dorm because there are some dorms which are really, really, really good and are just, like, hotels, basically. Oh. And, there's, and, there, and there are a couple dorms which are really bad. They're, like, built in, like, the 1960s. And well, those are like a minority of students, like not many students get assigned to those dorms mm -hmm. compared to like the, the bougie dorms. And I was unlucky and I got, oh, I got assigned no. to the dorm furthest away from the center of campus, which is the oldest also. But um, yeah, that's what that's what happened. But but it's not too bad because in those dorms, you, those dorms, the rooms are larger and they have like more division. So I was in a three room double, which means it's two people share three rooms. So I and my roommate had our own little rooms mm -hmm. and then we had a common room for ourselves. Okay. It wasn't the best quality room, but like we had like significant personal space. And, That's um, good, uh, yeah. Yeah, also uh, in the worst dorms, I think you get the, like the really closest community because no, it's gonna sound really sad. No one really comes there to party or like- <laughs> So uh, you're all by yourself from, there? From other dorms to like yeah. party and chill around. You know, or hang out. Like if you if you go out to party, you go to one of the bougier dorms, mm -hmm. which is most of the other dorms, and and hang out there. So so the people who end up staying in these worst dorms, by sh because you just spend so much time with each other, you end up getting really close. So that was that was a good part. Like you got you come to a really close you know community, which was really really nice. Good. So you're still friends with like the people that you were in your kind of dorm situation with yeah not the closest friends but like we were close enough that I could always I never I never feel like anxious talking to them on campus they're always just a community you can come back to mm -hmm. if you had a bad day or if you're just out or if you're just like you spend most of your day on campus studying and then you come back and you can talk to these people um always like there's no like there's no you always have a community to come back to basically is what I'm trying to say that's very sweet okay yes, yeah so you start, I don't, I've, I mean, I've never visited Dartmouth. Like, I've visited other colleges, so I kind of know what the situation is like. But um, in Dartmouth, do they have, like, a set of classes that every, you know, what is it called, freshman and sophomore need to take? Like, just core classes that you are required to take regardless of your major? So, yeah. So, most of the Ivies and we don't have a core curriculum. It's just Columbia in that regard. I think me may have been referring to that, maybe. So... Uh, at Dartmouth, you only have two courses you're required to take freshman mm -hmm. year. In your first quarter, you take a freshman writing class, mm -hmm. which can be um, writing five, which is basically just a writing class based on a topic. Like each writing five has their own topic. Okay. Um, writing writing uh, two, which is basically for people who are not as strong writers originally. You take sorry, you you take before coming to Dartmouth, you answer like a little a little test, and then you can choose. Um, uh, which writing pro they give you a placement and you can pick your program okay. based on their recommendation or not. Um, and then, or you can take humanities, which is a basically a great books course. I took humanities. 
Okay. Um, uh, and then and then in the second term, you have to take a seminar, which is like a explore, another exploration of a topic, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, with with uh, like you have readings and you do discuss you discuss the topic and then you write papers on the topic, analyzing it, and it varies varies wildly depending on what you choose. Okay, so basically, you kind of had like a lot of. Not a lot of, but like pretty much, yeah, okay, I'm going to say a lot of freedom in choosing like the classes your freshman year. Mm-hmm. So did yeah, you in, did you immediately like dive into environmental studies and just like make sure like majority of your classes were focused on that? Uh, no. So in addition to the requirement, um, during the course of your undergraduate career, you have mm-hmm. to take, you have to do a foreign language. So I decided to get that done with early because why not? And so I, along with my, because you, t- you generally take a Dartmouth three courses a quarter. It's not, it, it sounds like not much, but it's actually quite a lot because it's within a shorter period of time and you dive a lot deeper into it, I think, than other quarter systems. Yeah, I know quarter systems fast that, yeah. Yeah, so um, uh, I took, my first quarter, I took that Humanities One, the Great Books course, and I took first, I took Introduction to Japanese. I decided to try out Japanese because I was already interested in the culture. And I also took, I took one course in a geography department called Urbanization and Environment, which counts as an environmental studies credit as well, mm-hmm. but it's in the geography department. Um, so that was my first uh, quarter's course load. And for freshman year, I think that, and for the entirety of freshman year, like I'm almost done now, that was actually the only course in, that had to do with environmental studies that I took. I just okay. had to like, just like, took a bunch of different things. I tried to fulfill requirements for, for foreign study programs or off-campus study programs in mm-hmm. the summer that I was interested in and I basically didn't didn't feel the need to dive deep into my major from the get-go okay because um, I know yeah freshman year is like your best time to like explore especially if you don't have a core curriculum okay so how did you end up choosing the t- two like kind of fields and then combining them to make like one sort of big major like how did you come upon that Oh, so, I mean, I took political uh, AP comparative politics and government in mm-hmm. high school, and I did very, I did quite well in the class, and I found myself very interested by the concepts. Um, and upon discussion, upon discussion with people around my boarding school, and then at Dartmouth, we had various events with, like, professionals in the non-governmental field, some of which were environmental. And upon talking to them, I came upon the realization that they helped me find that the policy realm is probably the most important one in the near future in regards to environmental change because basically I was told I've been told that well I've been told I also understood the idea that there's a lot of research in the environmental field about what to do um, mm-hmm. in regards to the, the rising crises of climate change and mass extinction and there's a lot of and there's a lot of like there's a lot of capability to do those things mm-hmm. like we we already have the ability to like change our energy system and make changes in the, stru- the structure of our economy to deal with these environmental problems. But the, the transition point requires policy. Mm-hmm. Like you, you need to make laws and, and through, through, through policymaking, get the community to, to agree to sets of rules that they will, that they will follow in regards to, the, to environmental change. So um, uh, I realize I understood now that that's, the most important, that's going to be the most important realm to work in for the environmental problems that I want to really have have an impact on in the future. Mm-hmm. So I decided that that would probably be the direction I want my degree to go. Okay, so you kind of want to be like the bridge between like ideas and then actually executing the ideas and having the ideas actually make an impact? 
Yes, exactly, exactly. I could also, like, I really like research. I could also do research, I suppose, as well. But doing by modifying with government, it basically expands my horizon, so I can do a lot of different things mm-hmm. now. So I could do research if I wanted to. I could do policy if I wanted to. Basically, makes makes me able to um, uh, take a career in in a much wider variety of things. Than, so give yourself, like, a broad for. spectrum to... So like choose from yeah choose from based on what I feel I can have the most impact in. Okay, so is this like a common thing to do at Dartmouth to combine two things that you're really interested in and kind of study them together? Yes, very 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 common it's because a lot of people want to are really interested are like have like two or three things that they really really love mm-hmm. and being doing a double major is a lot of course requirements and it is it's, lot, yeah. it really it really like will become the focus of your undergraduate career. You can't really explore the modified major major allows you to do less of one field and more of the other so that you can fit it into your larger interest mm-hmm. and people uh, most many many people tend to do that so environmental studies modified with the government is i say probably less common the general thing that most a lot of people do is like economics modified with computer science or economics modified with government or government modified with economics to like those are the general careers that people are tend to be interested in like finance and computer science and um, government work so a lot of a lot of people generally modify fields to like really widen their their ability to pursue various careers. That's that's awesome. I never I don't know if any other colleges do that. Wow. And like I had not known anything about Dartmouth before I like literally talking to you right now. Yeah. Well, I only learned about the modified major upon arriving on campus. So yeah. God, that's amazing. Because like I don't know if this is just me, but you know how like the three holy ivies, Princeton, Harvard and then Yale, I think it is. You know yeah. how they're kind of like glorified and like everybody knows about them. Like if mm-hmm. you go to a foreign country, like my relatives back in Asia, they only know Harvard. That's like yeah, pretty much I, it. And they don't know that like, for example, Princeton is ranked higher than Harvard. So they only know about Harvard. But that's really interesting. I had not, and I was kind of like that too. I only knew about the holy right, trinity right. of schools. I didn't know. That's so cool. Yeah. So interestingly, I would very much argue not to look at rankings. Mm-hmm. Like they, those are, their metrics are really not have nothing really to do are first of all self-fulfilling and have nothing really to do with undergraduate even the undergraduate teaching one had nothing really to do with undergraduate education because two of the major factors in the u.s news ranking are acceptance rates the small acceptance rate the higher ranking yeah that's and, why like stanford's at the and, really top yeah and and reviews from other top schools like this is a self-fulfilling prophecy the lower your acceptance rate and the lower your acceptance rate and the older you are then, then the other other schools in the area, every other schools in that in that tier will give you higher 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 ratings, mm-hmm. uh, higher ratings, and more people will apply to you. So it's basically the less selective you are, the higher ranking you get, and more people apply to you. Therefore, your your selectivity keeps going ground going down. And the older and more prestigious you are, like mm-hmm. pe- people people think you're better, and more people apply more people apply to you, and your peer schools think you're better. And so it just keeps going on in this self-fulfilling cycle. If a new school came up, founded 10 years ago, that was, had like, they, they hired the best faculty, really looked hard, looked hard to find the best students for their body, they would not get a very high ranking because, uh, because um, uh, other schools would simply, first of all, not review them well because they're not reputable and yeah. their acceptance rate wouldn't be that high to begin with. So it, honestly, it's just, yeah, I just really hate those rankings. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like a lot of people... My father really wanted, did not want me to go to. Uh, he wanted to go to a different Ivy, not Dartmouth. And a lot of people, a lot of people told me that I should apply to a different to other schools. But I mean, honestly, it like when you, when you reach 
you should not consider rankings, in my mm -hmm. opinion, when selecting a school. It's just the worst way to select a school. You should select a school based on what you feel you want to do in your undergraduate career and actually like achieve in your undergraduate career and the things you feel will make your undergraduate career worthwhile. So you select a school based on that and not based on what an arbitrary ranking says a school is worth. Yeah, that's why we need people like you to tell us about <laughs> the different schools. So, yeah. Okay, so more about Dartmouth. How did you, this is kind of like a general question, not directly about Dartmouth, but how did you kind of like reach out and make friends and kind of introduce yourself to new people? Was it just through like the classes that you guys took or was it going to parties and meeting new people? So, interestingly, so in the first six weeks of school at Dartmouth, you're not allowed to go to a frat um, or sorority or Greek society or, or really attend any party that's not dry. So, dry? Like, no alcohol whatsoever. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, so, and those tend to be very small. So, I didn't really go out to party, mm -hmm. really, though some, some people socialize that way. I'd say I what I did socializing-wise was... I went to basically all the introductory meetings for any club I thought seemed remotely interesting, mm -hmm. even though I never actually joined most of them. Or I even went, or various orientations. Like they had a library orientation that not a lot of people went to. Oh, I, I bet. went to it. <laughs> I went to it. So they and they sent us on like these missions to find various books to show that we could like orient ourselves in the library. I'm still not good at that, by the way. I get lost. But through those things, I met a lot of people. Also, um, uh, before coming to Dartmouth. I had I attended like like an, a meetup of all the accepted Indian students, and I met okay. a few people there. I'm friends with those people still, and I met other people through them. Mm -hmm. So basically, that's that's what I did. I met this I met this one guy um, uh, like six times in the space of 48 hours at six different meetings. And uh, by the second I knew his name, by the sixth I think we were like very good friends, and we're still very good friends. And I think he's God, probably it was like, meant to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, we we're yeah. So I basically like met a lot of people through that. I met a lot of people through my floor mm -hmm. and um, socialized that way. Also, the Dartmouth introductory period um, uh, really allows you to explore because for international students, there's a week of orientation. For mm -hmm. regular students, there's a week of orientation. So you have I had basically a two week orientation period. Mm -hmm. Plus we had um, our trips where we went on like these trips in the wilderness and bonded. So I met a lot of people through that and socialized through that. Oh, so Dartmouth does give you opportunities besides like your class. Like they give you set sessions and times and events to actually meet people. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And through this and just through your freshman year in general, how diverse do you think Dartmouth is? Like how does it represent minorities? It's very, very, very diverse. I think... If I'm not mistaken, the latest statistic is that Dartmouth is only 49% white, which is... Yeah, I searched that. Really I was like, that's that's so... I've never seen that. That's incredible, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 just, you know, it's, less, it's much less than the actual demographics of the, of the, the actual um, uh, white demographic in the population. So it's just like extremely mm -hmm. diverse school, huge diversity of viewpoints. There is like a set group of people who are like from New England who are like prep school kids, which yeah. is like a sort of like... I call them like a species. You can see but they're not bad people. They're nice people, but like detect them as like because they're like I think yeah. the, you could probably call them the largest single demographic on campus, even mm -hmm. though they're not majority by any means. But so in the beginning, in the first few weeks, like those people, like all the kids from like Andover and Exeter, sort of like hung together because they knew each other, you mm -hmm, know. Yeah. But over the course of the first term, that started to change, and people started to like break up, find uh, meet new people, and it became a much more like 
diverse experience for everyone. It was, yeah, it was, honestly, it's a, there's so, every, every day I meet, like, really amazing people from all over the world, even, and with very diverse pursuits, uh, career-wise, very passionate about their pursuits, and, like, very different um, ethnic and cultural backgrounds. It's really cool. Oh, and one th- great thing Dartmouth does is that because we were originally founded to be an educational institute for Native Americans, very paternalistic, we were supposed to, like, teach them, like, the the, the, the goal of Dartmouth was to teach Native Americans to be civil, basically, yeah, and yeah. Um, uh, give them Christianity, stuff like that, like, save them, basically. Um, uh, we, while we haven't done, like, kept that, obviously, we have uh, kept our commitment to Native American education. So there's a much higher proportion of Native American students at Dartmouth than any other um, uh, elite institution. In fact, we've graduated more Native American students than all the other Ivies combined, actually. Yeah, because like the port, which, when I look at the um, the demographics and the statistics, the Native American portion, and just like really any other race, is just really slim and like it's not that much. And when I saw Dartmouth, that was amazing. So I'm not surprised that they prioritize Native Americans too. It's amazing. <laughs> so one thing I'm curious about is. Did you find it hard to adjust to college? Because high school and college are not the same thing. So do you think mm-hmm. the AP, any AP courses prepared you for the rigor of college? Yeah, actually, um, uh, I would say the one course that prepared me the most for college, even though I didn't actually enjoy it while taking it, was AP Microeconomics. I'm I thinking of using, taking that. You should totally take that. I have been using the concepts in that course and, apl- and applying them to literally every course I've taken from the great books, English course, mm-hmm. to environmental environmental studies, to public policy, to political statistics, stuff like that. It's just such a useful course to apply to everything, uh, everything around you, every, to every field. It's just like it can be applicable to every, to every field in various ways. And I've been bringing up concepts in that course all the goddamn time. It's just been very That's useful great. to me, even though it's not my field, it's not my main field. It's just been... Um, extremely useful to what I to what I've been doing. Like I use part of it to economically accul- um, assess the world of Dracula, for instance, like the the society of Dracula in my great books course. Like who would have thought I could I could do that? But it's just yeah, it's just such use such a useful thing to do. Like it's not just not just academically, but your societies and things you'll be joining the various um, uh, talks you'll be hearing like. A basic understanding of economics makes you, first of all, able to understand them a lot more, and be able and able to like really take what they've, what what those people have given you, and apply it to a much wider variety of thing, variety of things. I'm sorry, I think I'm a little confused in explaining it, but that's, no, that's basically that's how I feel about the course. Also, my, yeah, my AP environmental science courses and political courses were helpful for my fields. So I honestly think AP microeconomics was just the most useful I by see. far. Okay, so what is your homework load at Dartmouth? Or more generally, how do you like balance homework, social life, just chilling out, going to you know your clubs and different meetings that Dartmouth holds? So there was a term at Dartmouth called FaceTiming, which is as someone who's involved in a lot of things. I am totally that person. Okay. Um, uh, I'd, so um, so um, uh, the thing, when you go to college... It's just a general thing that happens. You're going to spend a lot less time in class and a lot less do a lot less work in class. And most of your work is outside of class in your mm-hmm. quote unquote free time. It's not free time in college, but, it's, but, but it is supposedly free time. Okay. But, so, yeah, so you, yeah, yeah, keep going, sorry. keep going. So you basically end up spending lots of hours at the library doing your personal work. And you have to really 
create a schedule for yourself mm -hmm. to do a lot more work outside of class than you were ever used to. And because it's an elite college, the expectation is very, very high because everyone at Dartmouth can write stylistically. Everyone at Dartmouth can, you know, use words of more syllables than they should. I don't know how to explain <laughs> yeah. it. I'm a, but basically, everyone, everyone at Dartmouth can provide a detailed analysis, a detailed point of view. That gets you, like, what, I, what, what got me an A-plus in high school gets me a B at, Dartmouth, at, at, at college. It's mm -hmm. just... It's just because that's the, that's the, that's the, like, that's what you're supposed to do. That's, like, the requirement. It, like, honestly, like, my court to get good grades, my course, my courses required me to do a much greater, to go into much greater depth in terms of my understanding mm -hmm. of the subject and my um, analysis of the subject than I ever have before. And it's exhausting, but it's also very rewarding. Um, and my, my clubs as well, I'm doing a lot more things I'm interested in. I'm doing a lot of different clubs. And those first-year programs are talking about international studies and social social impact. That takes up a lot of my time. So in the end, I basically, like for my first two terms at Dartmouth now, because it's pass-fail and it's online, I spend a lot. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind I, of I, ridiculous. I have a lot free time. But my first two terms at Dartmouth, I think I got an average of like five hours of sleep a night, which was not good. But I was Ooh, uh. I was doing a lot of amazing things every single day, and I was so rewarding. I honestly I could have cut down. There were many points in my time I could have cut down, but I chose not to because it was just enjoying it honestly a lot. Yeah, that's why I'm like so excited for college because I'm kind of sick of like being in high school and like it's kind of not the same for everyone. But you know, you have a set of classes. You got to go to the classes. There are required classes, mm -hmm. and they tell you you need to do really good extracurriculars and stuff. So college sounds so fun. Like all the yeah, different definitely. things you can do. Oh my God. This, and you can definitely. like manage your time and create your own schedule. Yeah. And one, one more point about Dartmouth is because it, unlike most um, elite schools, is, a, is an undergraduate focused college, meaning the undergrad, the undergrads heavily outnumber the postgraduate students. Mm -hmm. and, and like most of the resources, the college is devoted to undergrads from the day you step foot on campus, like, all your class sizes, most of your class sizes are very small, and they're almost, aside from one section of first-year calculus, they're all taught by professors, so, which is unlike most other elite schools, so you get, like, a really, like, first of all, you develop, like, engage in conversation with your classmates, mm -hmm. and um, go into detail on subjects, and you have, and you have, like, really close access, and get, get, really get, develop really good relationships with your professors from day one, which is really, really cool, because these are all, like, amazing people both your classmates and professors are just amazing people so you can like get good relationships with with them which is very unlike most schools i've i've uh, looked at yeah it's good it's discussion based so do you think that dartmouth has like you were saying how dartmouth had made you analyze stuff and really think about stuff so do you think you kind of changed your whole perspective on stuff were there ever times when dartmouth really challenged you but you really felt you were stepped out of your comfort zone and you felt like you had this whole new way of thinking I suppose. Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, when I was taking my introduction to public policy class in the winter quarter, mm -hmm. um, he, my professor um, basically changed the way I think about political dynamics in the world, basically changed the way I think about human behavior. Mm -hmm. And, and um, uh, it was just incredible. Like, he made us read this book, and then we analyzed it in class about um, uh, called The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. And we, we learned that, I'll just explain very brief, briefly, we learned that basically people and 
it makes complete sense that people judge how to do things based on their gut reactions Mm -hmm. and then develop the logical reasons to justify them. So fighting people based on logic actually doesn't do as much good as you might think. And I I know this doesn't seem like huge, but um, uh, in the context of what we're learning and if you were to really take that class and understand it or even just read the book, you would, well, you could gain some understanding by reading the book. Like it really like, I think for everyone in the class, it really changed our idea of how people behave and how to behave with other people, people with differing viewpoints and how to converse with them. And honestly, I've been using it a lot since then. It was, honestly, that was such a great uh, concept that I'm now applying everywhere. Like even other courses, it was sort of like that, but this was just the most significant instance I can think of. So it's kind of like your microeconomics. You're kind of applying it to more things than you would have thought of. Yeah, and that happens. Yeah, that happens with a lot of courses here. Like I was applying because it's a liberal arts school. You start applying. You start becoming really in the way you think interdisciplinary. Mm-hmm. Like I was applying concepts I learned in, from Plato in my great books course to my course in urbanization and environment. Like what he thought about the idea of poesis of the act of creation, and it was just like, and that was the biggest instance. But I think that what I've learned in college is like how to apply one field to another that are completely different in, in ways that I have never even before imagined. That's, that's amazing. So Dartmouth gives you this great opportunity. You're making me want to apply now. <laughs> but so I know in general, especially with like the more prestigious schools, it's, you're expected to do a lot. Like you were saying, everybody at Dartmouth can write like really nicely and make it like formatted nicely and stuff. But do you ever find, because I'm sure you were kind of like at the top of your class in mm-hmm. high school, you were kind of, there were not a cut above the rest, but there were times where you were kind of like held to higher expectations. But did you ever find in Dartmouth kind of like, wow, around me are a lot of people who kind of like think like me, who were the same as me in high school. Do you ever feel like that? Yeah, so sort of. So when I, my first the first class of English, of uh, my great books course, Humanities, um, uh, we had we've been made we've been assigned a reading beforehand, and I came to I came with like a detailed like uh, viewpoint to discuss and like various follow ups and stuff, and I got to say in my first statement. I don't think I got I got to say anything else the rest of that class because I I came to realize very quickly that everyone in that class um, had a very very detailed viewpoint on the on the work that we were discussing. I think it was. Plato, Plato's Symposium, and, it, and on the first part of Plato's Symposium, and we were, and everyone had a very, like, amazing, I, not amazing, a, a very, like, detailed idea of what the work meant to them, and what the work meant for society, and basically, we got, like, every time someone else spoke, we got pulled into another rabbit hole of a follow-up discussion on that, and then the, the topic changed, like, very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, in, it was incredible, and I was honestly very, very startled, but also just like flabbergasted. Like ev- everyone had a very complex viewpoint on this very, very honestly, um, uh, on this this uh, very significant work. And I didn't, I didn't, as I used to do in English class. Like, well, I wasn't one of the people direct directing the discussion. I was just one like cog in the discussion who mm-hmm. occasionally spoke. And I was very. I was both uh, surprised by that and happy about that. That was just showed me how incredible uh, the people around me were. That's that's amazing. Yeah, and I I agree with you. Discussion based classes, more like seminar based classes, I think, are mm-hmm. much more beneficial to people. 
And I can imagine you guys only have like a set amount of time and you have like so many viewpoints and details and stuff to discuss and you can't like get it all through in one sitting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's amazing. It's a, it's a, yeah. So the topic seems very quickly and it's very hard to stay on one, this one topic for the whole time, but you know, that's the nature of the institution. I'm, I'm very happy. I'm being part of that. I'm very, I feel very lucky that I'm able to be part of that. Okay. I see that. So we're coming to an end here. I want to know just a few more things. What advice would you give to current high schoolers, maybe middle schoolers if they're listening this early? So what advice would you give in applying to college? And then once you get to college, what advice would you give in being like an actual college student? So that's kind of like two separate questions. Right, right. Um, when applying to college, I would just, again, restress, do not think about the rankings. Like it's just, mm-hmm. those are not, none of those are very, they're, self, they're self-fulfilling, first of all. And they have their own metrics, and most of that, most of what they do, is not at all applicable to your to an undergraduate education. You should what you should really do is research the school in depth, and the schools that excite you, the schools that have programs that excite you, even if they're not super prestigious or as prestigious as some other schools, mm-hmm. that's the school you should apply to. Honestly, like forget about what other people think, forget about what the average person in the grocery store thinks about you. It should it should be you should go to the institution you really feel. Um, would really give you the undergrad experience that you just that you want that you want to shoot for. Um, as for once you get to college, I would say, do not be constrained by your major. Even no matter what university you go to, liberal arts or big research university, or even if you're like in a college of engineering and in, in, a, in a, within a research university, I would say just to, for at least for your first year, go out, explore anything that excites you, anything that makes you think that I really want to know more about this because I think that, you know, in your junior and senior years for sure, and a little bit in your sophomore year, you're going to have to start like diving more directly into the subject of mm-hmm. your major. Yeah. And your first year of college, your first year and a half of college is going to be the time you really get to explore a variety of different fields. So that's what you should really should do. It's mm-hmm. really the only time in life you can do it. So... I know you weren't able to like tour these colleges, so do you think that would be your best advice to just do as much research and then look at the colleges that seem most appealing and just go with your gut feeling? Uh, partially, yeah. So it's not, yeah, see most appealing, yeah, in terms of both of your program and all the things you want. So I wouldn't say so much as it is. It is partially gut, yeah. Um, uh, if you had the opportunity to tour, good on you, and you really like the school. But I think it's also partially like knowing what you really want from it, like. I really, really, I think I really needed small class sizes for my college experience. I really wanted a close community feel, and that doesn't come at every, at just every, at every school. And and um, I Dartmouth um, really gave me when I, I wanted to do a lot of study abroad. So I wanted to go to a bunch of different countries, not just one. And Dartmouth really gave me those opportunities with their quarter system, their really flexible schedule, and their opportunity for international study. And so it really gave me the opportunities I wanted for my undergrad education. And so it's, so it's partially gut, but it's also partially like knowing what you want, the things you want to do, and looking for where that's available. Okay. That was quite beautiful. It seems like you found a love in Dartmouth. Thank you. Okay. That was quite nice. I think I'm going to apply. We'll see. <laughs> I hope you do. <laughs> okay. okay. So thank you so much for agreeing to be interviewed, Rohan. It means a lot because, you know, you get rejections, people saying, no, I don't want to be interviewed and stuff. So it really <laughs> means a lot to me. Thank you very much. And I 
really genuinely enjoyed everything you told me and your experience. And your experience is quite unique. It's not like you just were, lived in America, did your four years mm -hmm. in high school and applied. So that was Thank very you. nice of you. Okay. I wish you, you and all your listeners the best of luck for the college process. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So, college kids, that concludes part two of my interview with Rohan. Make sure to subscribe to see more great content like this because next I'm going to be dropping an interview with the girl who just told Princeton she will be in their class of 2024. You do not want to miss that. Hope to see you guys then. Bye.